Welcome to the Shady Grove Radio Podcast, a production of Shady Grove United Methodist Church in Mechanicsville, Virginia. Turn your radio on, turn your radio on, and listen to the music in the air. Turn your radio on, turn your radio on, and glory share. In this episode, we'll hear a sermon from Pastor Darcy entitled Recalibrate Attitude, based on Romans 12, 1 through 2, and Daniel 3, 13 through 18. Good morning. My name is Katie App, and I will be, oh my God, hold on. I will be reading from the NRSV version of the Bible. Um, I'll be starting out with Romans 12, 1 through 2. <sighs> um, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the miracles, the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual wool worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may not, so that you may discern what the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Uh, Daniel three thirteen through eighteen. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, uh, Meshach, and Abednego be brought in. So they brought, brought those men before the king, Nebuchadnezzar, said to them, is, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods and you do not worship the golden statue that I have set up? Now, now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, and entire musical ensemble to fall down and worship the statue that I have made. Well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. If our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and out of, and out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. This is the word of God for the people of God. (laughs) Thanks be to God. Amen, Katie. Thank you. Amen. I love it. Thank you for being well dear with scripture. Let's pray together. God, we want to thank you for your word this morning. We want to thank you that we've been able to marinate in Romans 12. Do not be conformed, but be transformed. Um, We want to thank you, God, that you are reaching out to make us new um, into the people that you need us to be in the world, and we yield. We yield, God. Come more fully into our lives. 
Um, God, as we look at our attitudes this morning, we pray, Lord, that you will bring to light, bring to the surface, and invite us into even more faithful ways. Um, We ask this, Lord, humbly and willingly, in the name of Jesus, amen. We have, for the last several weeks, we've been in the midst of a worship series called Recalibrate. This is actually our last Sunday because, as I mentioned, we are now moving into the season of Lent, starting a new worship series focused on Jesus' encounters and the Gospels uh, next Sunday. Um, but it's, um, it's been a, a deep dive into recalibration. And, of course, to calibrate something means to bring an instrument or a machine back to an accepted standard in order to ensure optimal functioning. Um, Things get calibrated all the time in our lives. Every time our GPS reroutes us, it's recalibrating to the accepted standard, which is hopefully uh, the right direction, right? Um, Household budgets, we recalibrate, particularly after Christmas, right? We're like, okay, here we go. We recalibrate musical instruments, corporate statements of vision or mission, Um, we are surrounded by things that from time to time need realignment. And as people of faith, what we've been talking about in this worship series is bringing our lives back to God's standards or ways of being in the world, recalibrating our lives back to God's ways and means so that we can live out the kingdom life, so that we can, as John 10.10 says, know the abundant life that Christ has come to offer us, which always moves us beyond ourselves. Um, And we want to do this because if we don't seek after God's will and ways, there's any number of forces or influences that will step in to do that calibration for us. Um, And so that is what we seek to do during this worship series. We started with identity. We looked at purpose. We looked at goals. We looked at relationships. Um, And so, um, but it's also called not just calibrate, but recalibrate, because often any time in discipleship that we take a deeper dive into seeking after God and trying to calibrate, we realize just how far from the mark we have landed at times. You know, it's often you only realize how out of shape you are when you commit to the exercise program, right? Um, You're like, oh my gosh. And so we have to recalibrate. Will Willimon, he's a bishop in the United Methodist Church, and he says in his book, his book's entitled Sinning Like a Christian, um, and Jesus, he says, becomes for us not only a window into the heart of God, uh, but also a mirror that we hold up to see the hard truth about ourselves. And so we have to recalibrate, to come back and remember and allow God to remember us as the body of Christ. Um, but we remember anytime we take one step towards God, God is already taking 10 towards us. Um, so today we continue to recalibrate and we consider an important feature that steers the boat guides the directions of our behaviors, of our choices. Today, we are asking God to recalibrate our attitudes. I started preparing this message uh, about 10 days ago or so. I saved it on my computer and came back to it in order to continue working, and I couldn't find it. I could not find it for the life of me. 
And I started to experience that sense of panic that only technology and a lost document can bring forth. And I looked at all the ways to find it, you know, that I finally found it through the recents pathway. And I realized that I had saved it as altitude instead of attitude. Amen. <laughs> and I said, you know what? Actually, that tracks. That works, right? Because our attitude um, does determine, to a certain extent, our altitudes. How low we are flying, um, how high, um, what we see, the 30,000-foot view, the perspective that affects us. Now, um, an attitude, just so we're all working from the same playbook, um, is a feeling and a way of thinking that affects a person's behavior. Notice attitude is a convergence of thought um, and emotions. So both of that feed into uh, what becomes how we act, how we relate, the air that we put off. Um, it is our attitude. Um, Attitude fuels the actions and the outputs of our lives. The Christian author, uh, John Maxwell, he says this, people may hear your words, but they will feel your attitude. Amen. We all have attitudes towards various subjects. Things come up. Attitudes spring forth. I mean, as simple and benign as are you a Mac or a PC person, right? You got thoughts, right? Um, are you a morning person or a night owl? How is your sort of internal clocks that we have we have we have attitudes about that or opinions um, and then we have we have an attitude about things that are more weighty there's more at stake with like the current political climate in our country right we have we have an attitude about that or perhaps several uh, but I believe that underneath the attitudes we might have about particular things or people I think each one of us, over time, we develop a core attitude, both by life events and also what we allow to grow within us. A core attitude, it's a, it's a belief about the world and our place in it. It affects the way that we feel and act and interrelate. And so I'd ask you to consider today, do you, what do you think your core attitude is? Is it primarily a hopeful attitude that sees potential in situations? Is it a critical, more critical attitude that expects yourself or others to make a mistake at any moment? Um, is it fearful that sees the world and others as suspicious, even a threat? Um, is it rooted in a curiosity, like a wonder, like, I wonder how these things work or how they fit together? Now, I don't want to minimize or dilute a person down because we are all layers of different kinds of attitudes. But often our core attitude tends to lead the way, and it's one that we fall back on, particularly during times of stress or strain. So today I invite us to invite God into our sense of attitude and particularly perhaps our core attitude. And I invite, however it is that we're wired, I invite us to allow God to recalibrate our attitude so that it is one that reflects more of a trust in God, that reflects more a belief that God is present, that God is active in any given circumstance in our lives, that God is present, 
and God is active with us in any given situation. All right, so to recalibrate our attitudes, we're going to look to the Old Testament and to the book of Daniel. Some background. The book of Daniel was written approximately about 535 BCE, and within its pages, it includes two literary genres. First, it includes some eschatological writings, and these are writings that have to do with the culmination of time, right? The, we, some folks use it talking about end times. Um, and it's often written through visions, um, and it uses highly symbolic language and metaphor. In the book of Revelation, it is an eschatological genre of writing within the Bible. But also within Daniel, which includes the scripture that we heard proclaimed today, there's a second kind of biblical literary genre, um, and that is an account of um, the Jews that were conquered by the Babylonians, King Nebuchadnezzar, um, in about five, in 586 BCE. The Jews who were living in the land of Judah, their capital city was Jerusalem, they were conquered by the Babylonians, and they were many of them, most of them lifted up and deported, sent to Babylon to live. I was struck this morning as I was coming to church, um, listening on the news, right, of the continued mass exodus and removal of people in the Middle East. Amen? I mean, those sort of parallels. Um, so this included, this deportation included Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Have you ever tried to not say them in that order? It's very odd. Um, so in our scripture reading, we hear about an event uh, that occurred during this time of captivity. King Nebuchadnezzar spared no expense, and he took idol-making to new heights. He built an idol, a golden idol, that was 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. And he ordered everyone, everyone in the kingdom, had to bow down and worship this golden idol, or they would face the ultimate penalty, which is being thrown into the fiery furnace and losing their life. Now, this was a problem for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why? Well, you know the Ten Commandments, right? You know the Ten Commandments, the very first of which is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. And then God goes on. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, an idol, any likeness of anything that is heaven above or that is in the earth below or that is in the water underneath the earth. For you shall not bow down to serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Commandment number one. Sometimes God is just clear, right? This commandment definitely seems to include a 90-foot golden statue, right? Am I right? So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they have a choice to make. It's a very difficult choice. Um, so what did they do? And what would their attitude be? And thus their actions. They said this, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. If God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, then let it be. But if not, be it known to you, that we will not serve your gods, and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Now, I have to hand it to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They didn't try to rationalize away the situation. 
They didn't say, well, God will understand if we bow down to the statue, but inside we really don't mean it. They didn't say that. They didn't try to find a loophole in the commandment. You know, I think that the first commandment was really talking about idols mined from granite from Mesopotamia. It really doesn't specify that it was a golden idol. I think we're fine if we bow down and worship. Nor did they try to justify the circumstance. You know, I'm sure that God would want me to be happy. And fiery furnaces just don't make me happy, right? They did not say this. They didn't try to sugarcoat or rose-colored glass it. They saw the reality of the situation and they took God at God's word and they knew that something vital was at stake, that being faithful in the situation to their relationship with God was paramount. It, it mattered more than anything else. And they said, we will not bow down. Now, their attitude was bold. But notice, notice that it was still respectful to King Nebuchadnezzar. They didn't name call. They didn't mudsling. Um, they faced a fiery situation, and they chose their attitude. And it was to trust God no matter the outcome because they didn't know how it was going to go. You know, we all face fiery furnaces um, in the Christian life. We will all face situations or circumstances of various degrees of heat. Now, a lot of days we're just, we're going along and life is cool and occasionally balmy, right? It's just the temperature is sort of stable and we move along. And even then we have to think about um, what, what posture, what am I conveying to the world through my thoughts and actions, and my feelings, right? We have to consider our attitude. But then there are also those times um, when we face some heat. What is our attitude, particularly during those circumstances? The heat varies. There's often little pockets um, that occur in the day-to-day. -day. I remember several houses ago, uh, my family and I were living um, in a house, and we had renovated the basement. And in order to save money, we had done a good bit of the work ourselves, so we built, mud and taped, sanded, sanded, <laughs> sanded, painted, re-sanded. I mean, we, right, we did the things. And then we had the symbolic ribbon cutting just for ourselves, and we moved into the space, and we started using the space, and it was great. And then one day, I saw my husband run from the basement um, to the, the water shutoff valve, and then he said, oh, honey, you're going to need to come down and see this. And sure enough, went down, and there within our freshly painted ceiling was a hole, and there were pipes exposed, and there was water running, right? And in that moment, uh, the heat got turned up. Um, and, uh, you know, a hundred things are going through your mind. Um, first of all, who can I blame? Amen? Right? <laughs> How did this happen, in other words? And the money and the time and the inconvenience and the, you know, all of it. Um, but it was interesting in that particular moment, I realized earlier than usual that I had a choice how I was going to respond. Um, I could assign blame and seek it out. Who did this? Which person or pet is responsible, right? <laughs> I could blow up. I could melt down all over everybody else. Um, 
I could lose perspective or I could take a deep breath and I could remember, I could know that even in this problem that God was already there and not even for something as cosmically minor, I mean cosmically significant first world problem as a water leak in a home, would I compromise my identity in Christ? You know, these are minor hot spots. When people cut you off in traffic or you're watching sports, you're going to have a great opportunity today, amen, whether you're just watching for the commercials um, or the actual game, or politics, or there's an outcome or a statement or ideology that you disagree with. What is our attitude during those circumstances? Do we remember God or do we concede our identity in Christ? These are small hot spots, small fiery furnaces of annoyance, of frustration. They are essentially for us practice in the Christian life where we can make deposits into that spiritual reservoir of having a godly perspective. And, and having a, a godly perspective, it doesn't mean plastering a smile on our faces when, when things are difficult or hard. That's not what having that sort of attitude is like. But you can have um, an authentic and faith-filled attitude even as you go through the fiery furnaces. Because there will be times in our lives when we all have faced or will face times when the heat is turned up. When we're really struggling at work with a coworker, when our, our company downsizes our job, um, when you're diagnosed with a chronic disease or someone hurts someone you love, these are times when the stakes get higher, the heat gets turned up when our child is struggling in school, or perhaps depression or anxiety creates a flame within your own mind. We all have had these times, and we will most likely face various degrees of fiery furnaces again. And so what will all attitudes be during these times and circumstances? Can we look the circumstance in the eye and say, I see you. You're difficult, frightening even, and I am going to trust God. The heat you put off is real, and I'm going to remember from Isaiah 43, says, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Because there are into each of our lives a real fiery furnace experience, and like Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego, we may feel like those um, whom we love or ourselves um, may be on the line. During the high temperatures, what will our attitude be? What will we have practiced? We, do, you, do you remember what happens to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do you remember? Just let's play it out together, shall we? Um, during their fiery furnace time, the king asks for an update. And this is what he was told. O king, I see four men unbound, walking in the middle of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the fourth has an appearance of a god. Apparently, God not only brought them through the fire, but God entered into the fire with them. And the attitude of trust and thus the actions 
of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not only resulted, the outcome happened to be that their lives were spared. But it was such a powerful witness that King Nebuchadnezzar made a decree protecting the Jews from any harm. Because an attitude that is grounded in trust of God can do significant things in the world. We all uh, face in the Christian life some heat. (laughs) But hear the good news. We can face the situation head on and believe that God is present and active. That God is indeed with us in that and in all situations. Therefore, we can cultivate an attitude of trust, an attitude of hope, rooted, standing upon the promise that God is with us. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And now may it become so in our lives and the attitudes we embody and we offer. In the name of Jesus, amen. Listening to a radio station where the mighty host of heaven sing. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. If you want to hear the songs of Zion coming from a land of endless spring, get in touch with God. And turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. And listen to the music in the air. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. Share. Turn your lights down, turn your lights down low and listen to the master's radio.